Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to Genesis 22 this morning. Hallelujah. And uh, we want to continue with this that we have been looking on for looking at for a number of weeks. A covenant of blood. And we've been focusing on the last the last two messages on what happened when that covenant blood met the blood of Jesus. Uh, because the covenant blood that God, uh, the blood that God entered into the covenant with Abraham through is the covenant that ensured the appearing of Jesus in the earth, hallelujah, to finish the work that uh, needed to be finished. Everything in the Old Testament, every healing, uh, every, every victory, uh, was done on credit. It was, it was done based on what Jesus was going to do. Every promise in the Old Testament was given on credit based on what Jesus was going to do. It's so important that we understand that because that's the only way you can understand that everything that Jesus did fulfilled all that the Father had promised. Everything that the Father had promised, Jesus fulfilled it. Well, one of the things that he said, and we'll read it here in just a moment, uh, but always remember, number one, that you have a covenant. I have a covenant. Say it out loud. I have a covenant. You have to always remember that you have a covenant. All right? Presently, right now, I have a covenant. The Bible says that uh, if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, the Bible says in Galatians 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, uh, being made a curse for us, for his written curses, he that hangs upon a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Is that right? So I have a covenant. I, have, I am a partaker of the same covenant that God made with Abraham all those many years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. Number two, always remember the Bible is a covenant book sealed by blood on both ends. It is a covenant book sealed with blood on both ends. All right, the blood of bulls and goats in the first covenant, the blood of the Lamb of God in the second covenant. But all throughout the Word of God, this covenant runs. Uh, you see it begin in Genesis nine times. God said, this is uh, my covenant. And he said three times in uh, the same chapter, it's an everlasting covenant. And so all throughout the word, you, you come to understand that the Bible is replete with references to this covenant. Uh, number three, a covenant mindset is a requirement for strong faith. A covenant mindset is a requirement for strong faith. A covenant mindset is this, is understanding that the initiator of the covenant cannot lie. It, what makes receiving from, this makes receiving from God easy when you believe, not just know, not just know that the Bible says it, but believe it, that God cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, it says, uh, who in hope of eternal life, God who cannot lie has promised. Not will not, this is why you've got to watch many of your modern translations. It says, God, who will not lie. No, no, no. That leaves the implication that he could. No, he can't. He cannot lie because God is truth. 
it says that he is light and there's no darkness in him. Now, the reason this is so important is because if your view of God determines what you expect from him, and it determines how you feel he's going to react in a situation. Amen. I remember one time a lady told me when I was growing up, I was just really young in the Lord. And, and when I say really young, I mean maybe 16, 17 years of age. And uh, she told me one time, she said, now you better understand something. If God's got to wrap you around a telephone pole to get you to serve him, he will. Because he would rather you serve him without the use of your body than to live your own life. Well, you know, that really painted, that didn't paint a very good image. Now, now thankfully, I was smart enough and around people that were smart enough that that didn't take. But here's the thing. There are multiplied thousands of people that believe that way. And they believe that God will knock you in the head, break your leg, take everything from you. Hallelujah. They don't have a, you can't have a covenant mindset with that kind of idea of God. If you don't believe God's a giver, you won't ever expect him to give to you. If you don't believe, if you believe God's using sickness, then it's useless for you to believe that he'll heal you. Because you can't believe God makes sick and God makes well. Just can't. It's impossible. Hallelujah. So a covenant mindset, God cannot lie. If God has said it, it did not become truth when he said it. It was truth when he said it. Hallelujah. You remember uh, Numbers 11 around verse 23 or, or Numbers 23 around verse 11 when Balak had hired Balaam to curse Israel <laughs> and, and he built seven altars. Remember? And he went to the first altar and started speaking by the Holy Ghost and started blessing Israel. And Balak said, hey, hey, what are you doing? Come here, come here, come here. Come here. And he took him to the second altar and he did the same thing and blessed him. Amen. And Balak said, I hired you to curse these people and you've all together blessed them. And he said, God is not a man that he should lie, but neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Has he said it, shall he not do it? Has he spoken it, and will he not stand fast? Then he made this statement. He has blessed them, and what God has blessed, I can't curse. What does that mean? The truth of the blessing, the truth of the covenant, is greater than my ability to curse them you got to have a covenant mindset because everything that people may be dealing with, everything that the world may be dealing with is not powerful enough to overcome the covenant that you've been given. Oh, hallelujah. Just not. Glory to God. Genesis 22, and let's look at verse 16. And this is the Lord, he said, and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, notice, your only son. In blessing I will bless you, multiply and I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, the sand that's on the seashore, and your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed 
shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So we made mention that the covenant that God made with Abraham was initiated and introduced by God himself. God came to Abraham. Abram in the beginning. Nine times in Genesis 17, God said, this is my covenant. Three times he called it an everlasting covenant. Our basis for our relationship with God is based on the covenant that God made with Abraham. The covenant seed includes all who are a part of the church. He said here that your seed will possess the gates of their enemy. Possessing the gates refers to having authority over the enemy. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The authority will not of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. And he said, he said, all nations of the earth will be blessed in your seed. Notice in Galatians 3.29, it makes the statement concerning those that are born again. concerning the fact that we belong to Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. One translation says, because you belong to Christ, it follows that you are Abraham's offspring and under the promise, sharers in the inheritance. So since we belong to Christ, who is Abraham's seed, Matthew 1, 1, The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're Abraham's seed. Hallelujah. That's important because I have a covenant. I have a part of that same covenant. Now, in Genesis 22, 18, God told Abraham, he said, in you, all nations of the earth will be blessed in your seed. All nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, the seed that he's speaking of, of course, is Christ. But he said, in Christ, all nations, all nations. We talked about this some last week. We've talked about it previously in other messages. That word nations, there is the word goy or goyim. All right? It's, 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 a, it's a term that refers to uh, foreigners to a foreign nation, to Gentiles, to heathens. (laughs) Amen. A Jew would never call another Jew a goy because it's a slam. It's a derogatory term. It's, 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 It's held for those that are outside the covenant. So this is important because God's telling Abraham, I'm going to reach down and through your seed, I'm going to bring even the Gentiles into this covenant. Amen. Through Christ, the seed of Abraham, all the earth is blessed. In Hebrews 11 and 17, we see something very important. Because you read in Genesis 22, he said, Take now your son, your only son, 
verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises, which was Abraham, offered up his only begotten son. Abraham offered his only begotten son. Hallelujah. In verse 19 of the same chapter, it says, He did this accounting that God was able to raise him, Isaac, up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. The Amplified Bible says, He reasoned that God was able to raise him up even among, from among the dead, indeed, in the sense that Isaac was figuratively dead, potentially sacrificed, he did actually receive him back from the dead. So in Abraham's mind, in God's mind, Isaac was as good as dead. In Abraham's mind, in his heart, he had already went through with this. It was already finished. There was no going back. There was no remorse. There was no hesitancy. In Abraham's mind, he was going to go to the top of Moriah and offer his son as God had asked. Because there was a covenant between he and God. Now, to see the level of faith in the covenant, people say Abraham had faith in God. He did have faith in God. But the Bible says he had faith in what God said. In Genesis 15, he, God came to Abraham and said, I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, what could you possibly give me seeing I still go childless? And this Eliezer of Damascus, my steward, is going to be my heir. And God said, this they will not be your heir, but one that comes out of your own body will be your heir. The very next verse says, and Abraham believed God. He still didn't have a son. He still had no evidence. Eliezer was still his steward. Eliezer was still going to be his heir in the natural but he didn't see it in the natural but he saw what God said and he believed God over what he could see hallelujah do you see this 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 is not the idea that a lot of people have by faith that if I just deny it it will go away there was no denying that he could he his wife could not have children and God had, brought, God had brought Sarah into this and said, it's going to be you and Sarah that have this baby. Abraham has no physical offspring, but yet God says it's going to happen. And Abraham believed God. What did he believe about God? What God said. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do, do you see this? What God has said is what you believe. Hallelujah. To believe God's word is to believe God's word out of the pages of this book is the same as believing God if he were standing here and you could physically see him. It's the same. To be in the presence of God's word is to be in the presence of God himself. Hallelujah. Do, do you see that? When when you swear out an affidavit, when you have a power of attorney, and they swear, they swear that out for you. Amen. I, I, was, I, had, I was on a trip uh, when we bought our home. I, I was uh, ministering out of town. And we had to close on a certain day. Amen. My wife obtained power of attorney. And went in and signed my name. Now think about this. Was I in that room? Not physically. 
But was I there? I was there because my, my, <laughs> my representative was there and my word was there. And she signed my name. Glory to God. When Abraham was going to Moriah, there was no hesitancy. There was no, there was no uh, 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 desire to go back. He believed God. God had said, in Isaac shall your seed be called. In Isaac shall your seed be called. God had made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham had to find, Abraham had to find out that this covenant was more powerful than death. He had to find out that God would do exactly what he said up to and including the point of death because God needed Abraham's son not only to be birthed in the earth, God needed Abraham's son to be offered and he needed Abraham's son to die so that he could birth his son into the earth and cause him to die for the sins of the, of the whole world. So God didn't just need Abraham to act obedient. He needed him to go through with it. And the Bible says very plainly, in Abraham's mind and heart, it was done. In other words, that's such strong language that it means this. He was actually going to take the knife and put it in his son's chest. He was fully determined to do that. Had the angel of the Lord not stopped him, which was actually called the, oh, the angel of the covenant. Ah, isn't that amazing? That the one that was going to come and fulfill the promise was on the mountain while Abraham was fulfilling the promise. Had he not stopped him, that's, it's over. He's going to do it. Glory to God. When you're in faith about something, it's as good as done. When you believe God, it's as good as done. That's how God takes it. It's as good as finished. Glory to Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. This was vital to the plan of God. God needed Abraham's, notice, only son. Isn't it interesting that the only child that God recognizes is the covenant child? He said, this is your only son. God needed his only son because the nations would need God's only son. Oh, hallelujah. Look here at Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. It says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you have prepared me, or you have filled me, or fitted me with a body. Mm. Jesus came into the world with a full understanding that he was the covenant promise to the world. The seed of Abraham. And because of the covenant, he came with a full knowledge that his death was necessary to rescue us. John chapter 3. Oh, glory. Now, I want you to think of this in terms of covenant. Abraham was aware that the sacrifice of Isaac was vital to the plan of God. 
He took his son to that mountain with the full knowledge of what was being asked. Oh, hallelujah. And because he was that strong in the covenant, the angel of the covenant, the God of the covenant, came into the earth with the full knowledge of what he was going to have to go through. What he was going to have, the length that he was going to have to go to. But because Abraham had went to that length, he's willing to do it. John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through him, the channel, the instrumentality of him might be saved. God gave, Abraham gave his only son, and God reciprocated because of the covenant by giving his only son. So God sent Jesus to what? To rescue us, to liberate us, to save us. Why? Because of the blood covenant, because of the promise he had made to Abraham. He loved the world so much he sent Jesus. He loved the world so much that he looked for a man to make covenant with. So he could get Jesus into the earth. Hallelujah. Everything that God did was with the view to the end. The book of Isaiah says that God speaks of the end from the beginning. Glory to God. That's why he said in the very beginning, in the book of beginnings, in the very beginning of this covenant, he said, your seed will possess the gates of their enemies. Hallelujah. He's speaking of the end from the beginning. There were thousands of years between Abraham and Christ. And throughout that time, Israel had been brought into bondage. They had been, they, they had been lorded over. Amen. You know, they, they, they would serve God for years and then they would sin and they would rebel. And God would allow them to be overcome. God would allow them, the, the Babylonians to come in, the Chaldeans, all these different groups of people. But always, 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 God had somebody that would remember the covenant and remember what God said all the time. When... When the children of Israel were in bondage in Babylonia, the Bible says that Daniel began to see by books what the time of their deliverance should be. Seventy years should be accomplished. And Daniel began to call out to God and stand on the covenant and get ready for deliverance. I'm telling you, God is always looking at your end from where you are at right now because the covenant doesn't look at where you're at. The covenant is a promise for your life. And where you're going. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He speaks of the end from the beginning. When Jesus was in the earth. You'll remember when he told them about the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And he told Peter, he said, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And it says, from that time forward, he began to tell them how he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be betrayed into the hands of wicked men. And he said, they're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to bury me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. 
See, there was a covenant there that was stronger than death. In order for Jesus to be a blessing to every person in the earth and all nations, He had to not only die and be buried and go to hell for you and I, He had to rise from the dead with all power in His hand, the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and He had to be seated at the right hand of all authority and majesty. Glory to God. That completed the covenant. The covenant was not in place for every Gentile, for every person, until Jesus rose from the dead and took His blood to the heavenly mercy seat and poured it on the mercy seat and then attained eternal redemption for you and I. The covenant began with Abraham. It went through the Bible to God's people. It came up to Jesus Christ and the blood of the everlasting covenant raised Him from the dead so that He could place His blood on the mercy seat. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Amen. That's why God looked for somebody to make a covenant with. He looked for somebody that would believe Him to that extent. Glory to God. He had to get Jesus into the earth. In Hebrews 10 and 1. Oh, glory. Hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> the shoot is open. Glory to God. Hebrews 10.1. Notice, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the image, the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year Continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The law having a shadow of good things to come. Notice, those who came to God here were incomplete. They were sinners by nature and conscious of that fact. Notice verse 2. Then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. Hallelujah. It's it's a powerful thing to know that the blood of Jesus not only saves you from sin, it purges your conscience from sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 19 is one of my favorite verses. It said, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Bringing it back to a place of originality. Oh, glory. Every year they were reminded of their sinful condition. Verse 3. In those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Hallelujah. But the blood of Jesus... The Bible says when that's spread and and placed in our hearts, our sins are remembered no more. Hallelujah. The blood of animals could not remove the sin or pay the penalty of sin. Verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Not possible. Why did God institute this system? Because of the covenant. See, you get into trouble when you talk about the Old Covenant when you mean the law. 
The law and the first covenant, the covenant that we're talking about, are two very different things. God gave the children of Israel the law because he had a covenant with them. Does that make sense? He brought, he brought those, that group of people out of bondage that had largely forgotten about him. And they, they got to the Sinai wilderness. And Moses went up on the mountain, remember, to meet God. <laughs> and, and he left his brother Aaron in charge. And he wasn't gone just a few days. And they said, we don't know what's happened to this guy, Moses. And they went to Aaron, make us a God to take us back to Egypt. Back? They were crying and groaning by reason of their bondage. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2 that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and came down to deliver them. Hallelujah. And so he gets them in the Sinai wilderness. And you remember the story, I'm not going to take the time, but Moses comes down and, and they're worshiping the calf and, and he's mad. I don't blame him. But it was after that that God said, okay, I've got to give some parameters, notice, to these stiff-necked, rebellious people that won't just live by the covenant. Think about that. The law was not given for the purpose of relationship. God had to keep his covenant people in a place where they could partake of the goodness. The law was given because of the covenant. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. So when we say those sacrifices under the old covenant, it's a misnomer. It's under the law. There were no sacrifices under the covenant. Except one. When Abraham split the pieces that God told him to split. And then God walked through those pieces and made covenant promises to Abraham. There was never another reason for another sacrifice in that, in that vein. Why? God had walked through the pieces and promised. Hallelujah. Do you see this? Abraham didn't need a covenant or a, or a law. Excuse me. He lived for God because he loved God. Isaac didn't need a law. Jacob didn't need a law. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Look at Romans 6 and 23. We're building a case. Romans 6 and 23. Notice they couldn't remove the sin or pay the penalty of sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the sin's meager wages is death. Notice, the wages of sin is death. Now, in Leviticus 17, 
Glory to God. And look at verse 11. The Father says, the life, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it, the blood, to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So we have a shadow of the blood of Jesus given upon the altar because of the covenant. Now, in Exodus 24. Hallelujah. Exodus 24, verse 6. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Mm. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all the Lord said, we'll do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Now notice this, this is so important. This is the shadow of the blood of Jesus. And notice he put half the blood on the altar. Verse 8, and he took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. The revelation is the blood is getting closer. It's on the altar, then it's on the people. The blood of Jesus is, was first put on the altar, and then it was put on the people. Because of that covenant, Exodus 29. Verse 36. And you shall offer every day a bullock for a sin offering, for atonement. You shall cleanse, notice, cleanse the altar when you've made an atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall be made holy. Notice what the blood did. It cleansed the altar. It made it an altar most holy. And whatever touched the altar was made holy. Mm. You've heard this phrase before. Jesus' blood cleansed the heavenly utensils of worship. That blood had to be placed on the altar as a sin offering. And when he placed his blood on the altar, the altar was cleansed. The altar was sanctified. The altar was an altar most holy. And now whatever touches the altar is made holy. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We go to Jesus, the high priest, but we touch the altar. Ah, hallelujah. So, God has given us the blood of His Son through the blood of the covenant to be cleansed and made holy. We can't reiterate that enough. That you, when you were born again, were cleansed from all sin and made holy. See, there's a difference between living holy. You understand this? When you were made holy, now you just live holy. 
Because I was made holy. Living holy, living a holy life is not found in the outward appearance. Although a holy life will affect the outward appearance. But I've known some people that dressed what they considered very holy and they were anything but holy. Hallelujah. This is important. Thank you, Father. Because when we touch the altar, we're saved, we're forgiven, but we're made righteous. We're made holy. We're sanctified. We're set apart for a purpose, for a reason. We're set apart for something. Hallelujah. Every person under the sound of my voice has been set apart for something by God by reason of touching that altar. Glory to God. In uh, Hebrews 10, we'll look at some comparisons very quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. And it'll be easy to follow these references because you just got to flip one page back and two. Hebrews 10, 14, notice, concerning Jesus, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that were sanctified. Notice verse 1, the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices make the comers thereunto perfect. But yet verse 14 says, by one offering, he's perfected forever them that are sanctified. Hallelujah. Forever. 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 Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hebrews 9 and verse 14. It says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, To serve the living God. Hebrews 2 says. Then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because the worshippers once purged. Should have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices. There's a remembrance again. Made of sin every year. So notice. He not only forgives me. My conscience is purged. There's no remembrance. Not only by God. Of me. Now, there are believers I know that wonder, can you ever get to that place? You can get to the place where the person you were is so foreign to you, it's like you don't know them. Why? Because not only did the blood forgive us, it purged our conscience. Hallelujah. That's why it's so easy, or I say easy. That, that, that's why you can get to the place where you see everybody through the eyes of love and you see everybody through the eyes of forgiveness because your conscience is purged. And you think evil of nobody. Amen. I was in a meeting not too long ago, and a, and a minister was just, uh, well, just basically bad-mouthing anybody that... Uh, was in the government. 
Can I share this with you real quick? <clears throat> the Bible says something. It says for children, it says, honor your father and your mother. For this is right. Is that right? Is, is that what it said? Did it say honor them if they were always there for you? Did it say honor them if they always treated you right? Uh, honor them if they taught you everything correctly. Is that what it says? What's my place? Honor. I, I, I don't have to agree with it. It doesn't mean that I, that I bring them back into my home or, or maybe even have them a big part of my life, depending on what occurred. But here's my point. My job is honor. If, if for nothing else, I wouldn't be in the world if it wasn't for my parents. Right or wrong? The Bible says, should we go over there? We should, real quick. I just, I, I just feel led to do this. Romans chapter 13. We're still on the covenant. Bear with me. We got time. I'm, I'm early. I'll let you all out of here now. You would confuse the Baptist. Hallelujah. I went to a buffet the other day with somebody, and, 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 and there wasn't very many people there. And I said, well, we just got here before the Baptist. I, I didn't preach very long. Hallelujah. Well, you know, Pastor Caldwell, you say that. You can't upset the order of things. You got to know where you're at. Pentecost always show up late. Amen. You got the Baptist. Well, actually, you got the Presbyterian, then you got the Methodist and the Baptist, and then us. Order. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking time, but I'm just saying, just bear with me. Notice, verse 1, chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained or ordered of God. Whoever resists the power resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will you then not be afraid of the power... Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of men. For he's the minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, because he doesn't bear the sword in vain. He's a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that, him that doeth evil. Now, ever what you believe about the person, notice what it says in verse 13. There's no power but of God. I've had people say, well, the current president isn't my president. Then what is he? Well, I don't believe this was right. I don't believe it was uh, uh, whatever. You have a right to believe that. But here's what we have in our nation. You do whatever you want to do with what I'm telling you. We have an election that was certified. And we have a president in place that according to those that electoral college, he was elected. I don't, care, I, don't, I don't care what else you believe. Well, the prophets, you believe what you want. It's not the difference between heaven and hell. But let's talk black and white fact. Black and white fact on record in the government is he won the election. Now, is he the president? He's the president. What's your job? Honor him. Do you honor people by calling them a buffoon? Do you honor people by talking about how stupid they are? Do you? 
If, if you had an elderly family member that was losing their cognitive capabilities, would you run around and talk about what a buffoon they were? What a me- no, you wouldn't do that because you love that person. The Bible says, let's, 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 let's think about it. In 2 Timothy, he said, I, I, I beseech you, therefore, he said, you pray for men, all men, and all that are in authority, right? So that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And he said, pray that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, you say, what's this got to do with this? Because, folks, listen, listen. This whole, this whole idea, your conscience has been purged. You don't think like the world. The world runs down people that disagree with them. The world runs down people that think different than they do. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Sin is sin, and, and, and we, don't, we don't play with that. But here's, and so there's sinful things going on. But I have a responsibility to look through my conscience that has been purged and deal with this from the Bible standpoint. Do you want a quiet and peaceable life? Then you have to pray for those that are in authority and be very, very hesitant to be ugly about it. Amen. And when November rolls around, vote. And vote a godly manner. Hallelujah. So your conscience has been purged. My point is, so I was in this meeting. And it was, it was the, the, the minister said, well, he might be your president, but he's not my president. That's a wrong attitude. That's a wrong attitude. Glory to God. Well, pastor, I just believe he's not my president. You have a right to believe that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to con- persuade you one way or the other, but I'm saying where the Bible is concerned. Isn't it interesting that Paul lived under one of the most oppressive regimes ever? Paul lost his life for the gospel, and he never badmouthed Caesar. You never see the church getting involved in political mudslinging. You never see pastors in the early church becoming politicians. Because they want to make a difference. The worst thing I could do as a pastor is become a politician because I would lose all my influence. My influence is in my, is in my calling. My influence is in my office. We're making a difference in our city. When we come together on Monday night for intercessory prayer and, 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 and pull down the strong man and declare what God said over our city and we declare every Monday Jesus is Lord over Little Rock Jesus is Lord over Pulaski County Jesus is Lord over Arkansas Jesus is Lord the Lord told us the Lord told us that there was going to come an ease in the nation and there are people that are so blinded by wrong thoughts and wrong facts, they can't even see that there are things getting better. He said this would be a year of astounding abundance. Hallelujah. See, that's it. your conscience is purged. Your conscience is purged. You love everybody. You want everybody to be saved. Glory to God. You want everybody to be born again. Isn't that right? Oh, hallelujah. Look at Hebrews 13, 20. That's just a short side journey. It's important. 
Because, you know, here's the thing. Your children and your grandchildren are listening to you. And they're going to parrot what you say. Hmm. That didn't go over too good. It's all right. Glory to God. Because, folks, when you start putting your trust in whether a red party or a blue party is in the White House,